You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. I'm JR. And I'm Al. That's Al. Everybody <laughs> was expecting somebody else. Well, they always are when I turn up. <laughs> well, uh, I suppose I better explain why you're here. Uh-huh. What happened is this. Simon, well, okay, two things have happened. One, we are doing the Series 9 preview episode this week instead of next week as advertised. We're doing it a week early. And the reason why we're doing it a week early is because, you know, I don't like to be predictable. <laughs> then there there may be other reasons, but if there are other reasons, I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, they're not canon. That's the canon. Exactly. Once this episode has come out this week, I think it's 170 or something, uh-huh. you know, that is now part of the canon as episode number of 170. Well, indeed. Indeed. And, and until the Blue Box fan fiction starts coming out, that's the way it is. <laughs> Exactly. And the reason why I've got you instead of Simon is mm. because, well, Simon was due to go on holiday. And while he was on holiday, he uh, went up to uh, Scotland oh, where, right. he, where he did some visiting. And he went to he went to this place called Castle Macbeth, where he met this woman who uh, who did something pretty horrible to him and replaced him with you. Well, there's a lot of that about as well. Yeah. It's um mm. yeah. So when when are you three going to meet again? I'm not entirely sure that we'll be able to. Mm. Whether we do or not, I suppose we'll come down to Hubble Bubble Toil and Trouble. Yeah, and those old wandering forests. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Al. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> for anybody who is wondering, the reason why I've got you on board is because you are the one person, with the possible exception of Eric Escamilla of the. Uh, Mostly harmless cutaway. No, most. What's it called? Mostly harmless Most, cutaway. It yeah, is, yeah, isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, with the possible exception of him, you are the one person who has madder ideas about what is to come than I do. <laughs> and so, thank you. And so, well, last year on our preview podcast, I completely embarrassed myself by guessing lots of totally wrong things. So this year, I thought I'd. <laughs> Let you me know, do it. <laughs> foist that embarrassment onto somebody else. Yeah, quite. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very much up for that. Brilliant. All right. <laughs> okay, so the criteria, the criteria is anything that's been reported in public places. In other words, anything that's been reported somewhere where you don't have to click on a spoiler tag or go to right. a spoiler section or whatever. Yep. Anything that's been reported publicly is you know game we can okay. talk about right and we can theorize to our heart's content about anything that's turned up you know in a public site 
If if the BBC have said it, or Doctor Who magazine have said it, or if it was in the latest edition of Starburst magazine, or if it's turned up on news sites as opposed to spoiler sites, then we're fine to talk about it. So if anybody who's listening doesn't want to hear a conversation about stuff that they still may have missed, although I suspect anybody with enough of an interest will have seen pretty much everything we're going to talk about, uh-huh. then now would be the point at which to fast forward... 55 minutes so they can just get the conclusions as opposed to the spoilers that go with them fantastic right good 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 right well what we're going to do then now we're alone yeah yeah, now that we don't have lee breathing down our neck with his fingers in his ears well we're just going to go through episode by episode okay yeah or rather this year i suppose we're going to go through uh two by two Ooh, or are we well, yeah, more or less, aren't we? Mm. Yeah. Well, the first two episodes, which are called the, ma- you know, you tell me out. Oh, right, the, ma- I... the Magician's Apprentice and the Witch's Familiar. Right, I've got my page open now because I haven't had a chance to make proper notes for this, um... by which I mean any. <laughs> um, have you have you watched the trailers more than once yet? No. Oh, right. Okay. I am doing this podcast. This is crazy. I've done this last year, and uh-huh. I think I did it the year before. I did the entire podcast with no spoilers, only what I'd seen written in, you know, Doctor Who magazine or whatever, uh-huh. and having watched all the spoilers only once, all the trailers only once. So I'm pretty stupid, really, aren't I? Um, no, not not totally, because I might have sort of just done my backup research today, but because um, a lot of the series that I'm going to bring forward are stuff that I actually said last year. Oh, you think uh-huh. you still think? Oh no, I've... no, 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 no! Not that one. Not that one. Other stuff. Because I no, I've got to say it out loud for the benefit of anybody who's listening <laughs> who doesn't know what your theory was. God, you thought Missy was collecting robots so she could invent the Cybermen. Um, did I? Was that me? Yeah, that was definitely you. All oh, right, and even okay. if it wasn't, I am ascribing that to you now. All oh, right, okay. Um. <clears throat> well, no, you didn't actually say that, but kind of that was reading between the lines where you were going, I think. That was, that was, yeah, I could see how that would, do you know what, it, um, I think that might have been, that was a potential with deep breath, um, maybe, with, mm, yeah, well, I mean, that whole thing What you're actually necessarily... saying is, you got to the right conclusion via a slightly wrong route. I, well, that wasn't the one I was expecting you to say, I thought you were going to bring up the meddling monk. Oh, no, we'll bring up the meddling monk in about 17 and a half minutes. <laughs> but I'm not going there yet. Because <laughs> this is my theory. I've been putting this around for ages. Um, oh, specifically about the two episodes in question that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Oh, right. Well, Anybody who's been on my Facebook will have seen this. Is this the, monk, know, the monk theory? No, it's not your monk theory, it's my monk theory, which is probably different from your monk theory. Should we talk about Daleks instead for a minute or two? Well, yeah, because the Daleks are quite, the Daleks are quite confusing, because um, only going on, um, and I'll just double check that I am going, yes, only going on Doctor Who magazine, seeing as we know that there's Daleks in the first two episodes, and we also know that Missy's in the first two episodes. That's it's bit... got to be a sequel to Frontier in Space, right? Has it? Has it? No, it doesn't. Obviously, no, it doesn't. No, I, I was wondering whether or not, and I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how risky this could be because there's, there's shots of a very, very old Dalek city. We know that there's been filming done abroad. 
Some of the shots look a little bit Scaro. Maybe it's time that we did Genesis of the Daleks again, but probably not well, Genesis of the Daleks. I wouldn't. Have do thought. you want to? Shall I? Shall I tell on. you what my? Yes. Yeah. I want to hear yours first. Well, uh, <laughs> no, this is this is by way of a prelude to what we'll actually say, presumably, because my theory before I saw the trailer. Yeah. Knowing that there were going to be old Daleks in it. And knowing that the original Dalek City on Scaro was going to be around. Until the trailer came out where we saw the old Daleks and the new Daleks together. Mm. I thought this. Now you know my... Uh, my understanding of what Stephen Moffat's done with Missy. Yeah. Based on yeah. only one story. Yeah. Is that having turned her into a female master. Mm-hmm. What he's doing with the character is. Instead of the master being somebody who tries to take over by force, what he's doing with Missy is using a more feminine approach whereby, and I used the word nurture, and, and that's just kind of glossing over what it really is. Yeah, She's using an approach, an approach where instead of trying to take over by force, what she's trying to do is bring people on board with her by more subtle means. And obviously last year it was and you know, and when I say by more subtle means, I mean by su- more subtle means that are still as mad as anything the master's ever done. Mm. So last year, she gives the doctor the present of an army of Cybermen yep. to do what he will with, hoping that it's gonna fall, that the, ma- the doctor turns into, you know, something like the master once was. And of course that doesn't happen. This year, looking at certain things that now have been superseded by other things, I wondered if Missy's plan was to say to the Doctor, look, let's go back and stop the Time War from ever having happened. At which point they would go back through Dalek history mm-hmm. to Starro at mm-hmm. the time of the Doctor's very first ever meeting with the Daleks, hence the, the Dalek city that we saw in you know, the Daleks back in 1963, yep. and eventually to Davros, mm-hmm before he creates the Daleks. At every stage of the way, you know, Missy is saying, right, if you stop this from happening, you stop the time war from happening, but it never actually happens. And that's how I saw it. I thought it might be a story where they go back through the Daleks' timelines trying to cause a chain of events that stops the time war from happening instead of starting it. But obviously, regardless of whether any of that is actually true because some of that might still be true that's not quite how it happens because you've got you know dead planet daleks and genesis daleks and russell t davis daleks all existing in the same city Mm. yeah yeah um i i wonder i wonder whether or not we might be i I don't know i mean the thing the thing is that um there's a there's a there's an interesting quote from Stephen Moffat in the current issue yeah. that I kind of... I don't know if you were going to say it, but I, I kind of like to do it at the top of it because oh, I'm, I'm going to say some stuff that might annoy people. Because oh. <laughs> um, I always do. But it's um, it's just... He, he says... He's talking about someone else coming on and, and he, he said that... Um, uh, Doctor Who is seen by someone who just watches it fairly casually... But what was a lesson to me is that you can get Doctor Who perfectly well just through casual viewing. You don't have to study it. There's not actually an awful lot to Doctor Who. We think as fans there's a lot to learn. But no, there isn't. He's got a space-time machine. It looks like a police box. It's bigger on the inside. It can go anywhere in time and space. He's from another planet. He's got two hearts. We're done. 
So with that, that means that everything could be up for grabs. It means that yeah. nothing is sacrosanct, nothing can necessarily be stuck to, you know, and well, everything can be changed. Just to butt in just for a slight moment, I have always said yeah. that if you want, for example, to bring back Omega, uh-huh. you don't have to explain all the previous times you've met Omega. You only have to explain Omega in the same way as he was explained in his, his original appearance. In The Three Doctors, the Doctor already knew who Omega was, but the audience didn't. And that's all you need to do if you want to bring him back. Yep. Now, I'm not saying you need to bring back Omega, but for example, if you want to bring back Davros, mm-hmm. all you have to do is tell the audience he's the guy who created the Daleks. You don't need to give him all the backstory. Some, something that kind of points towards Davros being a proper, uh, being a possible to return as well is that it's a character that we know has been around and within, within the last 10 years, so <clears throat> near enough, yeah. so, so let's say within li- living memory as it were, you know, so that's that's a character that that could make a return, and it's also one of the very one of the um, Russell T. Davis uh, finales that Stephen Moffat hasn't done his own spin on yet. Well, actually, that's interesting. Uh, as a sort of sidebar to all that, is that Russell T. Davis favoured having the Daleks in his finales, whereas Stephen Moffat patently doesn't and instead tries to get rid of them as early on in the season as possible well my theory on that is because he doesn't like writing for daleks <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i think that's and yours not, as well <laughs> uh, yeah i don't think it's that he doesn't like the daleks i think it's that they're just almost impossible to write for because there's yeah. very little you can do with their characters and Stephen Moffat, much as people might think he doesn't, actually prefers writing for characters. Well, definitely. That's why you always, every time a Dalek turns up, it's something different, isn't it? It's either made of stone, or it's um, or it's yeah. um, Jenna Coleman, or it's you know, it's but it's never it's or there's something else that's going on, or it's um, or it's a possessed human zombie. You know, it, they're all they're all kind of they're all kind of a different take on it. But but mm. I think that what we might be looking at because you've got this you've got this kind of amalgamation of all these different daleks in there maybe not just genesis and this could be a bit kind of i don't know fan baity in the same way that um that uh the snowmen was it's not impossible that maybe we're not actually going back to scaro in the you know in in the daleks maybe we're going back to scaro in evil of the daleks oh the end of the daleks as it were yeah Oh, it's possible. Because well, that... Go on. Go on. No, no, no well, you say because. because. Because if he does that, then that's going to spark up the Omni Rumour, something chronic, isn't it? Well, yeah. Mind you, the Omni Rumour, I was I was on another podcast today that'll be coming out after this one, but we <laughs> talked about how mad the Omni Rumour taking its cues from clues in the TV series is anyway. Last year they were taking, oh, uh, Series 8 was all about, you know, clues about what's going to be discovered in the Omni Rumour, like the Carnival of Monsters. <laughs> oh, for example, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that'll be good. Um, Do I... you want me to throw another thing into the ring? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Okay, somebody's trying to prevent the time war from ever having happened. Yeah, and what's happening is Dalek timelines are collapsing in on themselves, and all these Daleks from all different times during the Dalek timelines are all fetching up in the same place, and they send for the Doctor through Missy to rescue them. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, could be, could be. Um, well, all right. Um, we know that, right, I think that this is something that might, I'll probably have to say this kind of at the head of the show because this is sort of feeds part of what one of my theories is, 
Well, go on, we've been going for a quarter of an hour, so you <laughs> probably just chuck it in if you want. I'll, I'll throw it in at the chest of the show then, rather than the head. And it's it's the um, for the fiftieth for Day of the Doctor. Um, we know that Stephen Moffat was able to, and uh, you know, well, not sorry, not for the fiftieth, um, for Name of the Doctor. Uh, Stephen Moffat was able to rewrite the entire previous fifty years as backstory for Clara, so that, <laughs> so that everything was continued within that. He sort, he then sorted out when when he's the showrunner, he knows he knows what he's doing, um, which is a controversial opinion, but I think he does. He knows I what think he does too. Yeah, he knows what he's doing, and I, I something right. The Dalek timeline was messed up right from the right from the time that Terry Nation got asked back. Because yeah. Terry Nation didn't understand necessarily either. He never understood the Daleks as well as David Whittaker did. And he messed up the timeline straight away because his impression was that the dead planet was set billions of years in the future, which already messes up the Dalek timeline, no matter how much you try and you yeah. know, crunkle it all in together. And every single time they turn up, it all messes up and it's all hugely confused. And there's, it's more confusing than River Song's hairdressing appointments, right? There's no, it's, it's just everywhere. It's all over the place. So I wonder if he's going to sort that out, which could be timelines collapsing in on themselves, like you say, and that would work. Possibly. And further to that, yeah. I'll tell you what else Stephen Moffat does. Mm-hmm. When people make criticisms of him, he tends to address them. Yeah. But he does it in such a way that people don't necessarily always notice that that's what he's doing. One of the criticisms of the Day of the Doctor was that he turned the final act of the Time War into just a regular space battle. Maybe... If he's address if he is addressing the time war again here, maybe yeah. he's addressing the fact that the time war isn't just a regular space battle, and he's answering his critics. Yeah, so it could be all all through everything. The the yeah. other thing that he's done is um because I'm, you know, I've been critical of him in the in the past myself uh, because there've been trap doors left open in the stories that are quite, I I would have said that uh, that were forgotten about. And I don't think necessarily it was intentional, but he's bright enough and he knows what he's doing enough that he can go back and shut them and then kind of give it a shrug and say, yeah, I meant to do that all along. But, we'll be, <laughs> yeah. but, the, but the fun thing is that fans will point out where those trapdoors are. Yeah. So, so he saves him. So they're doing his job for him. Well, yeah. And then he comes along and shuts them. And it's like, it's like, um, he can, he can, he can, it's sort of like a magician turning one trick into another trick halfway through because the audience think that they've cottoned onto what's going on, but they haven't necessarily. Because yeah, he does that a lot. Yeah. In fact, I think that is basically his biggest trick. Is and you know, I've often phrased it in the way he gives you the answer before he gives you the question. Oh yeah. And so once he's given you the question, you're looking for a different answer because you've already sort of, you know, you've already got the answer he's already given you somewhere tucked away at the back of your mind, and that's not what you're looking for anymore. So that when he when he reveals at the end that the answer was the thing that's been in plain sight all along, it's the one thing you've not guessed because it's the one thing you weren't looking for because it wasn't disguised. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of the time, um, a lot, a lot of the time, people overcomplicate what the actual stories are, and um, yeah. and because because although he's a, he's although he's a very clever writer, a lot of the plots aren't that complicated when you actually look at them. They're not. No, you they're know, not. It's it's, it's they they're clever and they're well put together but they're kind of it's just that the angles kind of shifted so it doesn't quite look linear but it, yeah, yeah. it's you know and he's been doing this since curse of fatal death it's they're similar well, he's been doing it his entire career well, yeah, if yeah. you've oh, probably see. never seen chalk or joking apart but he uh, did exactly yeah. the same thing in joking apart uh-huh. and oh. you know obviously in coupling as well he's yeah. always done this he tells 
and I think people, when they look at his stories, they look for more complication than there really is because they don't appreciate that what he's doing is telling simple stories in a fairly complicated fashion. Yeah, yeah. So they look for the so they look for the stories to be as complicated as the manner in which they're told, and they're not. Yeah, he works out he works out the starting point, he works out the destination, he does a general route of it, and then along the way he just throws in landmarks to distract you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I mean, you look at Asylum of the Daleks, which is probably uh, that and Day of the Doctor are probably the predecessors to this, if mm. anything. You look yeah. at Asylum of Daleks, it's an exceptionally simple story about man goes into room and fails to rescue girl because it's too late. Yeah, yeah, because it was too late when he got there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's it, isn't it? And, and then everything else yeah. is... It, it, everything, everything else is window dressing. Yes, yeah, smoke and mirrors. It's good, but but the, but the, but the structure of it, the skeleton is still solid, which is what it, which is what you need. You know, that's got to be mm. that, and then you can dress it up however you like. And the fact is, with something like Asylum of the Daleks, and it really is as simple as you know, she needs rescuing, and it's too late when he gets there. But the thing is, he dre- he he disguises it by making her a strong character who doesn't need rescuing. Yeah. Except, of course, she does need rescuing, but neither she nor he realises that till you get there, and that's the twist. The twist isn't so much that she's a Dalek, but the twist is that throughout this whole thing, he's thought of her as somebody who's rescuing him, when actually it turned out that she was the one who needed rescuing, and it's too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I can I throw um, something that kind of ties into this um, and with the Daleks as well? Right. First episode's called The Magician's Apprentice. So yeah. naturally, we're thinking that's Clara. But of course, if we're going back, and let someone's got to say this, I don't think it is, but let's say this now. Um, if we are going back to the very first Dalek story, then the magician's apprentice is, in some ways, Susan. I guess so. You know, but um, let's leave that aside because I don't think it's going to be Susan. No, because that's going back far too far. You know, I'll tell you one thing. All the people who said after the Christmas special that the uh, Magician's Apprentice was going to be... I can't even remember the name of the character or the actress, but do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, no. That's all been quickly forgotten about, hasn't it? has, yeah. No, she'll be back next year. (laughs) I don't think... No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I was just thinking... I don't... No, I was going to say, I don't think the Magician's Apprentice is Clara. I think that's going to be... Missy? Yeah, probably Missy, possibly something else, but I suspect that's going to be so tangential that it perhaps won't get completely answered on screen. Yeah, um, there's there's a similar kind of thing taking place a little bit later on, and that's my other sort of main theory. But I think you might have reached the same yeah, conclusions yeah. yourself. But we'll come to that. But if you but the, if you look at it, yeah, the magician's apprentice, the magician's the doctor, his apprentice is Missy. The witch is familiar, the witch is Missy, her familiar is the Doctor. It's two mirrors looking back upon each other. It is, which we see later on as well, because you've got the reflections. And I wonder if this one's going to be more about reflections, this series as well, and and things that look like things that aren't things. Because we've had themes like that. He likes his his themes of vision, does uh, does Stephen Moffat, because it runs through the early series, uh, through series five. There's a lot of stuff doing with eyes, you know, observing an angel, you become an angel, the eyes drop out, prisoner zero is in the eyes, it's the things you don't see, the perception filter. He likes his visuals, he likes his tricks, because he's a very visual thinker so these images are there the the witch is familiar works twi- two ways though doesn't it because that witch is oh, the familiar. witch is familiar yeah yeah, yeah 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 and i think that that's what it will be maybe 
as well. Well, Cause, well, because the name of the doctor that wasn't about the name of the doctor. No, it wasn't about the name of the doctor. And in fact, well, yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> right. He does that with his he does that with his story titles. Yeah, and uh, I don't think you know it's one of those things where people will look at it and they're looking for all these complications in the stories. But sometimes they'll take the titles completely dead straight. Yeah, totally. Well, Which this is, is kind of an odd thing to do. I think there's a hidden two-parter that's coming up that's basically been quite obviously shown to us as a two-parter, even with the titles that has got something quite definite going on with it. But we'll get back to that. The other Are you thing... talking about five and six? I am. Oh, yeah. I think I don't think there's any question that's a two-parter of a kind. Yeah. But I, won't, but I also Do you think... know what I think's interesting, though? Go on, go on. Is nine and ten going to be a two-parter? Um, it could be because they could do them without necessarily joining up, couldn't they? It no. would. It would be because. Okay, we'll say it now. We'll move on from the talk of the first two episodes now and get on to three and four. But All before right. we do, let's look at the structure of the entire series. Oh, good, 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 good. Because I, I think would let's look at the structure of the entire series and then let's come back at the end to see what conclusions we can draw from it. But you start off with a two-parter. Yep. It is ostentatiously a two-parter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you go to another two-parter, the Toby Whithouse two two-parter. Mm-hmm. And then you go to five and six, mm-hmm. which are ostensibly two single parters with two separate writers, but which obviously, due to the names of the episodes and due to the other thing that we'll talk about in a second, yeah. tie up as a two parter of a kind. Then you go to seven and eight, which is the Zygon two parter. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Then you get, and this is where it gets really interesting. Then you get to nine and ten which looks so completely separate that you think they're the two episodes in the entire series that can't be a two-parter. Except I'm wondering, then, if those two episodes have been deliberately made to look so separate. Because Stephen Moffat said this on a number of occasions now. He said, we're mixing it up this year. We're making two-parters that people won't necessarily recognise as two-parters until they see them. I think, I don't think he was referring to five and six because that is too obviously a two-parter. I think he was referring to 9 and 10. I think that will be a two-parter. What about 1 and 12? Well, no, I was about to say (laughs) 11 and 12 Uh is what everybody thinks is the two-part finale. Yeah. And actually, I think 11 and 12 is two single-parters. Yeah, that sounds more like it, because of the difference between them. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. which we'll get to when we talk about 11 and 12, Mm. you know, in... In probably about two weeks, there's the way one, we're going. <laughs> there's one more thing about episode one, though, um, which, again, is in DWM, uh, which is uh, we know that Kate Lethbridge-Stewart's in episode one. But not in episode two. Yeah. And she's not in episode 11, but she is in episode 12. Yeah. I think... Um, no, not necessarily. I think, but I there is a possibility that she will be in episode one in the same way as the Brigadier was in episode one of the Time Warrior. That's what I was going to ask you about. Do you reckon this is going to be a return to kind of a Pertwee unit sort of feel? I, th- I think what might be happening is that Stephen Moffat is taking that as a starting point. The fact mm. that the 
brigadiers in the first episode of Time Warrior. I don't mean specifically that, but I mean that kind of thing. The kind of notion that a regular character will turn up at the start of your series to sort of kick it off. Yeah. But then won't be a fundamental part of that first story. Uh It's just there to kick that story off. But I think what he's doing is he's taking... If you say he takes the rest of season 11 as a kind of an arc of that third Doctor, in that the Brigadier's there at the start to kick it off, and the Brigadier turns up at the end to bookend it and see it out, I'm wondering if the reason Kate Lethbridge-Stewart's in at the start and at the end is that Stephen Moffat will do something ostensibly similar, but knowing Stephen Moffat will tie it together in a way that didn't happen in season 11. In season 11, the Brigadier was just there at the start and there at the end. I think Stephen Moffat will do that, but will give a reason for Kate Lethbridge-Stewart to be there at the start and there at the end, and will tie the entire season together with her two appearances. Well, we could we could have that. We Well, it's, t- it's a time travel show, so there's no way you couldn't have half of a scene in episode one that concludes in episode 12. <laughs> well, you could, yeah. <laughs> so... But not that I'm writing fan fiction. <clears throat> but there you go. That's the. But yeah, no, yeah. something like that could could happen. Yeah, yeah. And it could be that she's, you know, it could be a subplot in episode one that turns out not to be important in episode one, but that turns out to have had an importance across the entire series and comes to fruition, if you will, in episode twelve. It's not like Stephen Moffat hasn't done that before either. No, no, no. So, you know, he has precedence for these of things. Times. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he's and he's just done in series eight. He's just done series eight where the story of Clara and Danny was threaded throughout the entire series. Yeah. So I think he won't want to repeat that. He'll want to do something different this time. So I think what he would do this time, maybe you know, I mean Here we are trying to get inside his head and imagine what he might do. But you know what I mean? Maybe he might do something where instead of having it seeded throughout the entire series, where it actually turns up and becomes sometimes an incidental part and sometimes a fundamental part of the episodes, I think what he'll do is have a story that starts in the first episode and then gets almost completely forgotten about throughout the entire series until it turns up at the end. And at the end, if you've been watching closely, you'll see the themes that Moffat's been getting his writers to address in the various stories, also turning up right at the very end, so that actually there was, like in season 18, where the the, the, the sort of entropy thing was threaded throughout the series uh-huh. and turned up at the end. I wonder if Moffat will do something like that. He'll start off with Kate Lethbridge-Stewart, and then you'll think that that's forgotten, and you'll think you're having discrete adventures, albeit two-part adventures, and then at the end you'll say... Oh, and actually the theme of this series was such and such, and it'll be Kate Lethbridge-Stewart turning up at a, again at the end yeah. that kind of defines what that theme was going to be. Yeah, because the Brigadier him, himself kind of ran through the last one as well, didn't he? You know, it, exactly, it's the essence yeah. of him. I mean, there's even a character in there called Courtney, so... There is. There's a character in there called Courtney. There's an episode set in the London Underground. And the very last episode is a remake of The Invasion, which was, of course, Unit's very first story. You know, Uh that's what it was about. Series 8 was about the Brigadier. Yeah, exactly. An homage to the character. Uh Have you got anything more you want to throw in about (laughs) how this arc might go before we get to episodes five and six? Because I think there's something in episodes five and six that you want to bring up in terms of the arc. Oh, of course, of course. But I'll bring that up in a minute because what I was going to say is 
Um, also fan baiting. Um, it looks like we've got um, a potential sequel to Warriors of the Deep. <laughs> yeah, episodes deep, three and four. Yep. You know, these are the two episodes I know absolutely nothing about. So, I'm pr- apart from the fact that it's set in an underwater base, yeah, presumably at some point in the future, because we don't have underwater bases now, so it must be set at some point in the future. Maybe not a sequel to a Warriors of the Deep or a remake <laughs> of it, but certainly, okay, or you know, Fury. sometimes. Or Fury from the Deep. Mm-hmm. But but then that was over ground, wasn't it, rather than underwater? Yeah, but it's. Um, I wonder if um, if it's got deep in the actual titles, because have the titles been released for those yet? Not three and four, no. Right, that'd be interesting. Do you know, have you heard, I mean, sometimes these things turn up on fan websites. But no, I haven't, I haven't got any. clue. I'm, I'm not on all the forums or anything. This is just... No. This is just I, only, I only know the ones then that are officially released. Yeah, no, same here. Uh, the only thing I get from it as a general kind of sense is I wonder if it's going to be a little bit like the Rebel Flesh, in that the Rebel Flesh kind of set up and and the almost people set up uh, with the Flesh a potential way for the whole Lake Silencio thing to be resolved, but then wasn't a red herring. Yeah. This is what Stephen Moffat does. He'll get his guest writers come in and throw in red herrings, but it will always come back to what Stephen Moffat wrote in one of his episodes in the end. Mm. So you're possibly right. And actually, yeah, that base under siege thing, it does sound a little bit like that. It sounds also a little bit like, as much as Warriors of the Deep, it could be also a little bit like the Waters of Mars. Yeah, it could be. Could be. It's it's base under siege, isn't it? So it could be it could be anything really. Yeah. If it indeed it is base under siege. And judging by the bits of the trailer that would appear to be from these two episodes, although mm. I really don't know. You know, the people with the odd faces? Is that yeah, from these the kind two of, episodes? The, I, th- I think so, because it's the kind of missing eyes, because the background's similar to the, yeah. to, the, to the sloshing through water in corridor things. So I assume that that must be the same ones. Um, so, so without knowing anything about the episode, I'm going to make a prediction. Go for it. Just a completely random, idiotic prediction. <laughs> but, okay, there's um, something on the seabed which wants to, for want of a better word, communicate uh-huh. and is only f- finding itself able to communicate through some kind of psychic, psychotic link where it changes the physical aspects of the people who are in the base. Hmm, could be, could be. Completely random and mad and almost certainly wrong, but that's, you know, that's the idea that knocks on my forehead when I look at those images of the people without the eyes. Yeah. Because where do they come from? The base is completely isolated. It's under the water. It's strange. I I wonder if it's going to have a bit of a kind of a Lovecraftian feel to it as well. Because that might be. I want. Is it going to be sort of horrific? Do you think, or um, so you know, like go for the actual make it scary? Because so. it's going yeah. to be dark, isn't it? When that's I on. think that's what's been said about it. That it's going to be particularly scary. And right. judging by those faces on those people, you would imagine so. I, so some it, kind of possession thing. Ooh, bit, my... bit Hinchcliffe. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? That's what the Waters of Mars was, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. Do you you know, I don't know why, but I just had a moment there where I was just sort of thinking, because you know what I said about Evil of the Daleks earlier, and and I'd sort of facetiously said Fury from the Deep, but I'm just thinking Base Under Siege. The next ones we're going to talk look similar to historicals, which we haven't had since, well, Well, we had We had Robot of Sherwood, but that was kind of... Almost completely incidental, wasn't it? Yeah, I was thinking Highlanders, actually. Um, well, I don't know why, just as an idea, because there seems to be, to me, 
a bit oh, of a you trout. Mean a pure historical. Yeah. As opposed to oh, a I don't sort think we're going to have. I don't think we're going to have a. No, I don't think there'll be one. I don't think we'll have a pure historical. I don't think that's going to happen now. I think um... I think that boat's sold. Uh, no, I'm just I'm just getting a, a real weird trout feeling about this now, which I didn't have necessarily at the start of this. Oh, potentially, yeah. Look, let's move on to five yeah, and yeah, six go on, then, because unless you've got anything else no, to say me, about three me. and four, because I you know three no. and four almost entirely studio bound, so they're the ones that we don't really know anything about, aren't they? They've kept them very stunned, those ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah in good. fact, Stephen Moffat's sort of setup in Cardiff has been, generally speaking, I'd say, keeping things under wraps a lot better than um, Ross T. Davis did. Even though the internet's obviously moved on quite considerably in the last five years. Well, Russell T. Davis is... did tend to show off Cardiff quite a lot, didn't he? But um, yeah. But Stephen Moffat, he does his location filming, but everything else is kind of kept inside. And the locate, and I think we only see what we're allowed to see, or 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 people only get mobile phone snaps mm. of what they want to get mobile phone snaps. Do you know what? In the old days of Doctor Who, mm. back in the specifically back in the nineteen sixties, but also to an extent in the seventies and eighties. Somebody who was coming in to write Doctor Who were told, right, we're using this studio here and we're filming it as live, so that's how much space you've got. You can have as many sets in your story, in your episode, as you think will comfortably fit in that space. So, for example, in something like the Ice Warriors, you'd have one big set, which is the control room, but because you've got one big set, that limits the number of other sets you can have. So uh, a story that doesn't have one big set might have four sets, whereas the Ice Warriors might only have three because two have had to be combined into the one big set. Yeah. Somebody who's sitting down to write Doctor Who back in the 1960s knows that. Yeah. And while that might sound, you know, these days that might sound like an imposition, back then that was just how you wrote telly. If you're a telly writer, you did it as second nature. You limited your action to you know, a small number of sets and a specific number of actors. That was just second nature. I wonder if having watched what happened when Russell T. Davis was in charge, and, you know, you can't have the Daleks versus the Cybermen be much of a surprise when you're filming Daleks and Cybermen on the streets of Cardiff. Yeah. Out in front of everybody. I wonder if Stephen Moffat's looked at that and said, right, the thing that my writers have to have in their heads now is... Anything important has to take place in a set as opposed to out on the streets. Yeah, because you can lock that down then, can't you? Exactly. So all the big twists and surprises are going to take place in places where, you know, where they won't be overseen by the public. And if they are going to be somewhere where they're going to be overseen by the public, you get your character, your actress, Michelle Gomez, to say, don't you recognise me? I'm Romana. And then you change it in the ADR afterwards to, <laughs> I'm the master. No, Luke, Obi-Wan was your father. <laughs> well, he did that, didn't he? Did, Stephen yeah. Moffat's done that two or three times, and he's actually said, you know, he's actually laughed about it and said, you know, I did this ridiculous thing where I can't remember what it was, but he said he did this ridiculous thing where I had one of the characters turn up and announce themselves as the Rani, and nobody with the mobile phone heard it. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Do you think the Rani will be back, JR? That leads us on to uh, five and six. Five and six. It? No, I don't. Uh, do we have the <laughs> really same theory on this? Um, I reckon so. Has this got to do with um, with an RTD ending that was changed by Stephen Moffat? Oh, you mean Jenny? I do indeed. Oh, no, I hadn't even considered that. Oh, okay. No, Stephen Moffat has said that this is not a returning character. 
Oh, right. He, oh, has, oh, he has said that point blank. Ah, right. I missed that then. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he has He has said point blank that um, Maisie Williams is not playing a returning character, which leads me to suspect Why that she, she probably is. Then? Yeah. <laughs> it's like that aren't set in the same time zone. She must be a returning character. Well, she's only returning in episode six from episode five. But they're set in different locations and different times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at Captain Jack. If uh, Captain okay. Jack, if Captain Jack hadn't gone with the Doctor at the end of the Doctor Dances, yeah. So he's in the TARDIS at the start of Boomtown. Captain Jack could still have turned up in Boomtown due to his wristy thingy. Yeah. So, and that would have been the surprise at the start of Boomtown. What the hell are you doing here? Oh, did you not know? I'm a time agent. Maisie potentially is a time agent. Yes, yeah, probably. and not one, and not one that we've met before, or if not a time agent, something like that. Potentially, she's somebody who, uh, you know, has access to time travel equipment, and she's potentially somebody who has access to time travel equipment and goes to various different stages of Earth's history attempting to meddle with that history and episode 5 is called The Girl Who Died yep. and episode 6 is called The Woman Who Lived mm -hmm. so presumably the surprise that we've seen in the trailer what on earth are you doing here or whatever it is that the doctor says what took you old man wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, what took yep. you old man that's the one yep. presumably the surprise there is not so much that she has turned up several hundred years later in Earth's history. I think the first episode is Vikings and the second one is like... Highway maybe, folk, Yeah, Highwaymen. So that would be, what, 17th century or yeah, 18th century, something so. like that? My, I'm, I'm, my Blackadder's quite rusty. So. Okay, but <laughs> let's say 18th century. So yeah. she's in Viking times and she's in 18th century. I don't think the surprise on the Doctor's face so much is that she's turned up in the 18th century as that she's still alive. I, right, I wonder, I wonder, and I'm going to throw this one out there because I don't know if they do this, but I wonder if, right, one other one other thing that RTD did that we haven't seen Stephen Moffat do yet was Professor Yana, where we've ended up with someone who didn't know they were somebody else. Mm. And I wonder whether or not we're... She could be the Rani. No, well, not necessarily the Rani. I don't know it. But is it possible that maybe those two stories are in the wrong order? Oh, that is possible, yeah. So we're going to see that... the conclusion before the beginning. Yeah. I don't know. That's... Except for the fact that she says, What took you so long, old man? Um, well, that, uh, mm, maybe well, that could be the way episode five starts rather than episode six, unless I can't remember. But in that shot, is she in the highwayman gear? It could be all. It could be all over the place. Um, I'm just, I'm just trying to think because um, Rufus Hound. It's been announced who he's playing, hasn't it? Has it? I think so, isn't it? At the read through, the BBC do a thing about. Oh, it? I don't know. Who is he playing? Right. Well, I better not then, in case it hasn't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think. Well, because isn't he playing? Isn't he Dick Turpin or something? something like that? Yeah. But it'd be quite interesting if he regenerated into Maisie Williams. It's possible. Which would I be don't... which would be a reverse because then that would actually really cement the fact that time laws can change um, gender. Yeah. Unless going back to what I was hinting at that seems to have completely passed you by a few minutes ago, Go on. unless Maisie Williams is playing the time meddler. Well, 
<laughs> I, I still hold out that, that Frank Skinner's intriguing performance was vastly improved by him being the meddling monk, <laughs> which is what solidified my theory last time round. Um, um, and all the references to mummies and, and things like that, and the TARDIS all going wrong after he'd been tinkering with it and everything. So I think that I'm going to have to go with your original assessment that it's unlikely that either the Rani or the Monk will be making a return. But that doesn't mean that another character couldn't be doing exactly what you're saying. And didn't 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 someone sell off Captain Jack's um, time manipulator thing? Yeah. Oh, possibly she could have come by that. Didn't. Yeah, I think it got sold, didn't it, or exchanged? I think in um, I think the headless monks might have ended up with it, but that might not be Dorian Moldavar or somebody. Yeah, perhaps. I think so. I can't remember. I I'm only half joking when I say I think she's going to be the meddling monk, because here's a little theory, go on, which go goes on. back to something Stephen Moffat said in Doctor Who magazine about a year ago. Uh-huh. You know, in his production notes column, yeah, somebody said to him. I can't remember what the question was. The question was about Gallifrey. And Stephen Moffat's response was, Gallifrey's already back in our universe. And he pretty much left it at that. Now, if Gallifrey is back in our universe, then it's shifted its geographical spatial location, as it were. It's somewhere else other than where it should be. And so the hunt for Gallifrey would be to find out where it is in our universe, as opposed to in what pocket universe it is. Somehow it's come back already. Right. That's pretty much the gist of what Stephen Moffat said. Now, what I... And again, this is a trying to get into the writer's head or trying to think like the writer. Uh-huh. Or just saying what you would do if you were given the same, you know, set of boundaries as the writers working with if I had Gallifrey already back in our universe and potentially you know there's supposed to be the almighty humdinger of a cliffhanger on episode 11 and then another one on episode 12 which will either lead into the Christmas special or the Christmas special will be in a side and it will lead into the next series one of those two cliffhangers could be the Gallifrey revealed cliffhanger in the last place you expected it to be but, uh-huh. having said that, you have to foreshadow that somehow. Yeah. And what better way to foreshadow the fact that Gallifrey's already back, in spite of the Doctor and Missy not realising it, than that Time Lords are starting to turn up again. So, oh, I'm right. saying Time yeah, Lords yeah, are yeah. escaping from Gallifrey, and the Doctor keeps bumping into them. Maybe not keeps bumping into them, but bumps into at least one during the course of the series. Maybe more. And let's face it, Missy. We still don't know how Missy escaped. So potentially Missy and the meddling monk. Everybody keeps banging on about Romana, Susan, the Rani. Nobody ever guesses it's the meddling monk. (laughs) And yet you've got these two episodes set in history. Hundreds, you know... 1600 years apart or something stupid like that possibly more whatever it is mm-hmm. and and yet they have a character in common yeah and you've got vikings again so yeah that's a link isn't it um because it because the thing the thing last year that was 
because I was kind of tongue in cheek with the monk because I didn't actually think it was going to be the monk, especially seeing well, it, he said it wasn't. I'm tongue in cheek with the monk, if yeah. I'm being perfectly honest. But, there but were... I'm saying also the evidence kind of points that way as well. Well, there were things that pointed to it last time because in in Flatline, um, and I, there there are two trains in Flatline that are animated. There's one of them that's got the Pixar code, and the other one's got a code that um, I think it. I, I'm trying to remember now. It's the year that the meddling monk went out, and it was a story code as well. Was the, really? Yeah, and there was things like this, and there were references that went with it, whereby you could build a case, seriously, that um, that from Mummy on the Orient Express, that the Frank Skinner character was actually the monk, and if if you right. want, it, it does but work. Then, but then Stephen Moffat also does this thing where he'll say, throw the Omega symbol in, just to throw the fans off the scent. Yeah, which is which is brilliant, because that's, that's exactly, because that's a fantastic way of doing it, isn't it? Because it's yeah. not being made for fans it's been you know that's the other thing that yeah, you to remember yeah. so these things are um, and why not why not toy you know why not that's what it's about but then yeah if you're gonna like i say if you're gonna do this thing where gallifrey's back and you want to foreshadow it what better way to do it than with time lords yeah and like i said earlier in the episode if you're gonna bring omega back you don't need to do any more than tell people who omega is no yeah just sort of introduce um and the meddling monk exactly the same yeah you know all you do is say oh he's this He's this. He's not evil. He just likes to mess around with time, and he needs to be stopped. But you could also, you could also. It doesn't even need to be the monk, though. It just because the time meddler. It could just be a time meddler, like you said. It doesn't even need. It, it could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it doesn't. Like you said, it doesn't need to be the monk. It doesn't need to be just, the same character. Yeah, 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 but it could still be a time lord. Um, and it's something that's quite a treat is that it doesn't necessarily always have to be someone else you know the, the, uh, sorry it doesn't always have to be someone that's been in the series before because they are you know because those characters were original at one point they don't always have to keep coming back like it's a revolving door it doesn't always have to just be made up of a single you know of like there's only 50 real people in the doctor who universe which is why he keeps bumping into them all the time to paraphrase um terry pratchett it doesn't have to be like that it's infinite you know people can make up their own characters to tell their own stories and bring it in and well, this is the thing that he usually does, obviously, yeah. with people like Tasha Lamb and that. They're yes. the characters that the Doctor's encountered before, that, but that we haven't. Yes, yeah. And potentially, this girl that Maisie Williams is playing could be that as well. We don't know. I wonder if that becomes kind of annoying for fans, because it means that you can never have the complete set. Kind of thing. How do you mean? Well, there can never be a completion, then. If you've got a character that just comes in, like Tasha Lamb... Um, who, you know, fulfills a kind of, for example, the kind of River Song role within that story. But because it's she's not River Song and she's a character that we've we've not seen before, but the Doctor's very familiar with. And of course, the same thing happens in Dinosaurs and the Spaceship. Then, yeah. then you know, it gets a little bit frustrating because it's kind of like, well, that didn't happen before. But then the characters who turn up, um, like the Professor who turns up in the Three Doctors, we don't see him before or again, do we? You know, no, for example. But... I... Yeah, yeah. I I think it's one of those things that Stephen Moffat likes to do. I think it's just part of his armory, as it were. I think he just likes to uh, he likes to have a universe that's infinite, but that has recurring elements. Yeah, and those recurring elements don't necessarily need to be recurring in the on-screen fiction. Yes, yeah. And I like that. I think. Well, it's a my theory on this is, I think. Yeah, and yeah. not only that, I think fundamentally at a deeper level, having recurring elements allows your infinite universe to be even more infinite. Because I think if you had a series 
where the universe really was vastly infinite and nothing ever recurred, I don't think it would have the draw for an audience. So mm. I think that, say, Russell T. Davis. No, that's not a good example, Russell T. Davis. Not a good example at all. But if Stephen Moffat was to do his Doctor Who with only the Doctor and the Companion and nothing else ever recurred, yeah. it could get very frustrating for a general audience watching every week episodes that had no ties in with one another at all whatsoever. But to have certain elements recurring across the entire sort of five or six years gives people a fundamental platform from which their imaginations can run riot and thus allows your stories to be even wilder and more imaginative than they would otherwise be able to be. Yeah, because because on a weekly basis right, because if you look back at the Hinchcliffe and Holmes era, for example, if you look at the if you look at the run you sort of got Brain and Morbius seeds of um uh seeds of doom. doom. Yeah, yeah, and you've got and you've got the Doctor and Sarah and just the Doctor and Sarah travelling. But the stories last over a period of weeks. So that so it's not a different story every week. So you've got time no. for the familiarity to, to come into it. And it doesn't necessarily need to go back to that. Whereas if it's, a, like you're saying, if it's a weekly story um, that changes, if you've only got 45 minutes to tell the entire story, and then it keeps changing and keeps changing and keeps changing, then yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that that could get... And also that's not... yeah. Yeah, but it's not the way telly's made these days either, is it? No, no, exactly not. Because it's got its character rather than... So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Should we move on to <laughs> should we should we move on to seven Next. and eight? <laughs> yeah, come on then. Do you know much about seven and eight? Um, the titles are out. Oh, are they? Mm. Oh, I don't know the titles. I'm just trying to think where I I read them because it was I'm sure it was official. Um, but it's not in the DWM. But then the stuff come out since the DWM. Yeah, there's nothing in the DWM about titles, actually. Because, because I know that there's something you want to say about episode 11 that I only found out by accident. So Oh, there's something about episode 11 and something about episode 9, and we'll come back to those. But go on, give us the titles for 7 and 8, then, because the okay. Radio Times will be out in a couple of weeks anyway. And by the time people hear this podcast, <laughs> if, they, if they don't know those episode titles, they're only a few days away from finding out. Well, it's quite exciting, because episode 7... <clears throat> which is, I understand, written by... Hang on, let's have a check. Peter Harness. Peter Harness. Yes, I, I just double-checked, right. Uh, is Invasion of the Zygons. Yeah. And episode nine, which is Peter Harness and Stephen Moffat. Episode eight. Is eight. Is... Yeah, sorry, episode eight. Yeah, I've got that right. Yeah, whoops. Yeah. Yes, of course. Because episode nine is inside number nine. Episode eight is uh, Peter Harness and Stephen Moffat, and that is Inversion of the Zygons. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Right, all we really know about this... I think, apart from, we'll come back to the character of, um, oh, what's she called? Ingrid Oliver's character. Osgood. Osgood. Come back to that in a second, because yeah. I think that's a separate issue, really, yes. yeah. in terms of discussion. Well, it might oh, not be. Well, the impression we've got from what Stephen Moffat said is that, yeah, no, no, it's not, but I mean, it's a separate discussion. All right, okay. Sort of, or it's an extension to the discussion. <laughs> But what I mean is the basis for the story is that these are the Zygons that were left behind and they're sort of living hand in hand with man. Yeah. So it's Alien Nation, right? Um, Or Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, to a ish, degree. Ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think most ostentatiously it's Alien yeah, Nation. Yeah, Alien Nation, where... yeah. So what we've got is a situation... <clears throat> whereby the Zygons are living hand-in-hand hand with man and patently something goes wrong, right? Mm -hmm. 
And that's about as much as I know about it, to be honest with you. Invasion and inversion of the Zygons. That sounds like a cheap joke, actually, doesn't it? It does a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. I'm wondering because he does say in the he does say in the interview in the current one um, about that. And I'm just double checking to make sure I got it. Yeah, that because right, Day of the Doctor is a sequel to this story. Yeah, well, he says Day of the Doctor is a sequel to this. Yeah. Not the other way around. No, not the other way around. Which is why I think that it's... But I think he might be... I think it might be slightly different. And I wonder if, again, one of them set in one time and one of them set in the other time. So I think Invasion of the Zygons might be set more or less at the same time as... No, 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 no. He no? says, This new story features the return of the Zygons and follows up on events seen in the 50th anniversary. I don't know. Actually, that's not Moffat. That's um, Tom, Tom Spilsbury and his editorial. Oh right, you know, in a, so I don't know actually. Well, hang on, I've got here. It's um because he, when he when he wrote it for. Oh no! Right, he wrote it as a prequel for this story. God, I've got it the wrong way round. Oh, so this is after the events of Day of the Doctor. Originally, I thought it was. Hang on a minute. I. No, it has to be after the events of Day of the Doctor because in Day of the Doctor, the Zygons come through from the Middle Ages to the modern day. Yeah, they're not already in the modern day. No, they're day. not already there. So they've got to be. So it's got to be post, doesn't it? But then, yeah. I suppose you can. Right, well, in that case, that Zygon, that's probably not Osgood then, is it? No, unless this is set after Day of the Doctor, but before... Oh, sorry, but before Death in Heaven. Yeah. 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 It could be set between those two. Oh, which... hang on, that's what I've got in my notes, which I should have written legibly. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> but, that, but that would be a slightly odd way of doing it in television grammar terms. And I'll tell you what I mean. Back in the 1960s, every time we saw the Cybermen, no matter at what year yeah, was yeah. given, was always the time after the previous time we'd seen the Cybermen. And right? same, same with the Time Lords pretty much as well, wasn't it? We we, we, yeah, those, yeah. we encountered them um, in a linear fashion. But the Daleks, no, because they were all over the place. But everything else, yeah, totally. Except that, I think it's still fairly true of the Daleks as well. Every time we see them, they've developed in some way from the last time we saw them uh, it's kind of a television grammar thing. It might not be said on screen that this is the appearance after the last appearance, and this is what I was getting at with the Cybermen as well. Yeah. But in terms of how the viewer understands it, uh, the sort of off-screen development of that species has moved on in the story you're watching now from the story you previously watched, and will have moved on again in the next story you watch. So in spite of the fact that if you're... David Banks and doing a book about the Cybermen you might try and put them into the actual order of the years given in terms of what you see on screen those stories might as well be linear. Definitely because you couldn't have the Cybers you, you, it would be impossible to do the Cybers Industries Cybermen um, developing into the Earthshock Cybermen even if that's the way it happens you couldn't do it that way mm. around because it, would, it wouldn't make sense for it would, the viewer. It wouldn't make sense for the, no it wouldn't make sense for 90% of the people watching. Yeah. So you don't do things like that. So what I'm saying about episode seven and eight is he could set it before Death in Heaven. And, you know, Stephen Moffat, and this is Peter Harness anyway, but the two of them in conjunction, they're the kind of people who could probably just about get away with that. But you'd need to very clearly explain that on screen. And you'd keep, you would also need to keep explaining that on screen 
because Doctor Who also needs to be accessible to somebody who's feeding the kids, who's doing the ironing, who's getting ready to go out to a nightclub, and who's actually gone away and not thought about it for seven days in between the two episodes. So if you're going to do it out of time like that, setting it before an episode that's already happened, but so close to that episode that's already happened, rather than setting it back in the Middle Ages or something, where, yeah. you know, that's yeah. an obvious one. If you're going to set it a year before it's being seen on screen, you have to really do that ostentatiously and just keep repeating on screen that that's what you've done, which makes it almost impossible to do. So you would have to imagine that this takes place after Death in Heaven and that Osgood we're meeting is the Zygon. Yes, yeah. Although it could be quite cruel to have it not be. <clears throat> How do you mean? If they if they did it that it was actually Osgood, she's got a fixed yeah. point. That that's quite that could end that could that could well, that create be... quite a poignancy to the character. But, yeah, but it'd be, be very difficult dr- to do. That would be the dramatic reason for doing it. Yeah. That the doctor walks in, thinks it's twenty fifteen or whatever and realises when he sees Osgood it's 2014 and she's got six months left to live and he can't tell her. That would be the reason for doing it. That drama- yeah, that dramatic could, impact. Which could be... that. Yeah, and she's popular so it could be... I don't know. Yeah. It'd be, be interesting. Yeah. Um, I, could I, I can't that. quite get my head around that because it, about how that's going to fit in. I think those two are going to be more important than, than they appear. Because Possibly, be, because yeah, the thing yeah. because the, the beauty with the Zygons isn't the isn't isn't the the scarrison milk and the electric shocks that we forget about and things like that. It's the fact that they can. It's the Change. fact that they're shape, shape they're shift. shapeshifters. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's kind of like a chameleon that works. You know, there's so much that can be done with that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- and that's and you know the classic series story, Terror of the Zygons, did a great job. Yeah, with that. But was very um, not insular, very self-contained. Of course, one of the problems <clears throat> with the Zygons um, is that they need. To, and correct me if I'm wrong with this. Do they not need the human kind of body print to be alive, or the body print of whatever creature they're assimilating? Because at one point, well, yeah. one somewhere there's a horse with an octopus on its head in Day of the Doctor. You know things. But the the, the answer to that is. Things change, or there are ways around <laughs> Time things. Time war. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it yeah. is true that in the original Zygon story, they needed that, but... But you doesn't know, that happen in Day of the Doctor? Didn't someone get... Um, they, they rescued Queen Elizabeth, don't they? Well, it, but also, you've got the two Ingrid Olivers talking to one another. Yeah. I, yeah, I was just wondering whether, so, whether the Ingrid so, Oliver could not, then, whether the Ingrid Oliver um, or the Osgood Cyberman, uh, sorry, Zygon, could not then exist without. No, it doesn't matter because it's been done, hasn't it? Because you've got the two. Okay, don't worry, forgot I said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you don't keep the bath water if you want to dry it, the baby. Yes, yes, yes. yes it's exactly, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but of course, if at any point it turns out that phrase. any of this conjecture was correct, then we'll just sort of say yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, we, we predicted that. <laughs> that's why we're trying to cover everything. <laughs> right, we've been going for well over an hour, and we've still got nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. Well, then, well, they're not going to take so long, I don't think. Nine, maybe. 11, Let's skip maybe. nine and go to ten. Okay, then. Because ten's a real quick one, right? Go for it. 
10 is set in the modern day and it's the one that brings back the Banksy character R- from Rixie, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it's written by oh I forget her name, Australian writer. Uh Sarah Dollard. That's the one. And she has come up with an idea that was so good they couldn't not use it or you know in the modern PR talk. But what she has done is she has come up with something that works as a follow-on to Flatline. Not a sequel, not a remake. But she, you know how in Flatline everybody said, oh, what a brilliant idea, two-dimensional monsters trying to break into a three-dimensional world. Why did nobody ever think of that before? And now Sarah Dollard's apparently doing it again with some other kind of creature. I don't know what the, I don't know what the uh, conceit is. But in the write-up for it, it basically says, here's another example of a monster that's kind of breaking through dimensions or something. Right. You know, it's it's one of those t- stories where the monster is kind of off at a tangent rather than being some kind of corporeal monster that we can see and understand and shoot bullets at. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's probably going to be one of the hardest ones to kind of second guess because we don't that's know all what we the know. idea is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. I would only say that we also don't know anything about Nine in terms of what the plot is going to be. But like I said at the start, the way Stephen Moffat said you won't know if you're watching a one-parter or a two-parter sometimes. Uh And while that comment is mostly meant for the casual viewer who doesn't read the Radio Times and doesn't see that it says one of two. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see an on-screen title that says invasion of the zygons and doesn't realize it's invasion of the zygons part one while casual viewer that might not necessarily be true for in any case but also when stephen moffat makes a comment like that you have to think that he's talking with a double forked tongue and he's also talking (laughs) about fans as well i wonder if sarah dollard has come up with this idea or maybe she didn't come up with the idea, maybe Mark Gatiss did, about this kind of creature that, you know, exists in some kind of weird reality that we can't quite get our heads around. Episode 9, the Mark Gatiss one, is found footage episode yeah. with Reese Shearsmith. Mm-hmm. Reese Shearsmith is most famous for being a League of Gentlemen, uh, you know... Uh, Alumni? Alumni, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> Alumnus, there's only one of him. <laughs> he, he's a League of Gentlemen alumnus. Uh-huh. And the thing about the League of Gentlemen was, the, the thing that they did was, they put on different outfits and different prosthetics and took on different characters and played different people. Yeah. Now, although the other League of Gentlemen alumni have already been in <laughs> Doctor Who, Reese Shearsmith hasn't. I we've seen one picture of him where he looks like Dastari from the Two Doctors, right? Yeah. See I wonder if, effect. yeah, yeah, <laughs> he looks like a Thunderbird. <laughs> I wonder if maybe that's just one of the characters he's playing. That would be that would be interesting. If, if I wonder, like uh-huh. it, as it's found footage, and one of the things of the found footage genre, and having been reviewing a load of films recently, you know, this has come to my attention. Uh-huh. One of the specific conceits of the found footage genre is you don't get the explanation at the end. No, 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 because it's found because footage, it, so you know how yeah. it ends. <laughs> it, it, it ends with everybody dying before they find out why they're dying. Yeah. So it is left open-ended. Found footage films, Blair Witch Project. Yeah. You, 
you never really get to find out what the ghost is and why it's there. No, it's hinted and at throughout, but it's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's never expressed on screen because it's found footage and you can't. Because if you got to the point in the story at which it's expressed on screen, then your characters have the wherewithal to defeat the menace and they survive and it doesn't need to be found footage. So it's part of the criteria of the format is that you don't get to beat the monster. I'm just wondering if Mark Gatiss has done this open-ended found footage episode and then you go into episode 10, which appears to be a completely different story. The twist at the end being, when you find out what the monster is in episode 10, you realise that that was the monster that was responsible for the events in episode 9. Yes, yeah. And it, yeah, I, I, that sounds... That sounds highly plausible and yeah yeah like yeah that could be done or you might even see them filming yeah that's <laughs> the other possibility yeah. yeah is that the two stories could be not a two-parter but could take place in more or less the same place at more or less the same time the, the weird the weird thing i get with with episode nine is i'm getting very much a kind of a love and monsters vibe off that one Oh, okay. really? Yeah, yeah, but I don't mind Love and Monsters, so... With oh, it... he could be doing found footage... No, the... I was going to say he could be doing found footage not as a horror story, but no, they have said it's one of the scariest Doctor Whos there's ever been, haven't they? Yeah, it's good. Well, well it, 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 this, this, do you know, it could be really good, because cause Mark Gatiss is at his best when he's doing sort of pastiches within. Pastiche, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this could be excellent, and it, it, this could be... Because I, I think that apart... I think that Crimson Horror is probably... His best expression yeah, of what he so. does. I think so, and that's the one that's nearest to League of Gentlemen. And and this, yeah, this this is the well. Potential. If he takes if he takes the characters and the characteristics of something like the Crimson Horror mm. and puts it into the found footage genre, you could potentially end up with a story where there are lots of caricatures running around, and it's scary as which would be brilliant because but. This is the time to do it because surely the found footage genre can't have much longer left in it. Well, you'd hope not. But then I suppose it's 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 cheap and easy. Yeah, to make. so it's something that that can be done. Yeah, so so it's got that going with it. But the other thing with it is that in many ways the editing for this is almost more important than the script and the direction to get it right. It's yeah. going to be it's going to be a challenge to do. Oh, absolutely. Because cause found footage, if you're not doing it as one shot, if it's all going to be taken from all sorts of different places, that's not just single camera filming, that's well, we'll really complicated. See, we'll have to see how they do it, <clears throat> the format it takes, because obviously found footage, there are a number of different ways you can do it. Somebody with a video camera, in which case it's just one long take from start to end. But, so many, or, but something you've mentioned in the past when people were complaining about um, Matt Smith's constant use of the sonic screwdriver is it's just the same as the way that people use iPhones or smartphones or you know, yeah, other yeah. types of gadget are available you know, to, to do things. You could quite easily do a, a found footage film now with, with, with just because all you've got to look Mobile at is... Phones. over Yeah, because over the last few weeks there's been some dreadful events that have taken a place and some, some horrible things that have actually happened around the world that we've got to see. Whereas of, even five yeah. years ago, we wouldn't have got to see that stuff. But everyone's got a phone, and that, well, n no, they haven't, but you know what I mean. There, there are so many more yeah, yeah, phones yeah. that are accessible, and they've got cameras on them, and there's access to the internet. This, it, this is possibly the right time to do this, this story, and to do an experiment like this, this could be, this could be really good. I wouldn't like I to could... second guess what's going to be in it, though, other than. 
No, no. And I, I could be completely wrong, probably am completely wrong, about them being the secret two-parter. But then again, you know, we'll wait and see. It's intriguing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, Eleven. Go on, then. <laughs> there's only one actor in Eleven. Mm-hmm. And that is the Doctor. The Episode Eleven is Everybody Else Light episode. This is what Stephen Moffat was talking about when he made all those quotes about it's the hardest episode I've ever had to write. Easiest yeah. idea, hardest way, hardest one to get on paper. Um, you know what? Just before we talk about eleven and twelve, and we don't know really anything about either of them, so <laughs> we don't know much we about can't any re- of it really. <laughs> well, they've not they've not started recording twelve yet. I, I thought I thought it had begun start of August. Uh, no. What happened no? was yep. they recorded eleven. Right. Up to the end of July, I suppose. I'm not sure exactly what the dates are. Eleven went up to the end of July, then they did nine, and then they're going to start twelve. That's cutting it fine, isn't it? Um, no, not necessarily, because the series still hasn't started, so it's still three months before 12 goes on air. I suppose, yeah. Um, but the thing of it is, if 11 has only Peter Capaldi in it, he's going to be in every shot, in every scene. I think episode 9, therefore, is going to be, to a certain extent, a Doctor Light episode. Yes, yeah. I think Capaldi's going to be available across the entire two and a half, three week shoot or whatever but he's not going to be working every day. So he's not going to be in it as much as he would normally be, but by the same token, he's not going to be in it as little as you normally would have the Doctor in a Doctor Light episode. I think he'll be throughout the story, but only in occasional scenes. Something like that. That that sounds like probably the best way of doing it. Um... So they've not double-banked it, but what they've done is they've given him a rest after the really heavy-duty episode 11. Because um, unless, yeah, because unless you do something like Blink, where it's just sort of topped and tailed, it, it, it's almost like he's he's got to be missing from an episode at least, doesn't he? In that case, to, because that must be quite. You know, um, remember, listen, um, the start, the first. There's a lot of listen that's um, that's just Peter Capaldi as well, isn't it? He's in pretty much every scene. I don't think there's a single scene that he's not in. No. I think maybe Clara has a couple of bits where she kind of. You know, there'd be the bit in the restaurant, for example, but the doctor's in the back room. But Peter Capaldi wouldn't have needed to go to the restaurant to film because he doesn't appear in the front room of the restaurant. Yeah, but what, no, what I was thinking is there's a lot of that where it's just the doctor on his own and he does talk to himself. Episode 11 could be the doctor talking to himself. Yeah. And we, and Capaldi could, Peter Capaldi could, well. Pull that off. Well, yeah, well, anyone who's played the doctor could carry that off I imagine because they wouldn't have cast him otherwise but um and Capaldi would probably do it by talking to his Tom Baker voice oh yeah yes because that, like he did in Mummy on the Mummy Orange Express. Express yeah yeah or maybe we... maybe he'll do other Doctor voices as well <laughs> we'll have to wait and see we I don't think we know anything about this one either no photographs from the filming is, is... it all indoors um... where does it take place I'm just wondering if there's a no no you're right I no we don't know there's anything there's nothing, about it, it? No, nothing no. whatsoever. Because it was only recently announced that it was just him, wasn't it? Yeah, it came out in the last couple of days as we record this. Yeah. Possibly, yeah, possibly about 48 hours ago. I wonder if the Doctor... End of episode 10, somehow, something... We'll say episode 10, these monsters come from another dimension, and the end, episode ends with the Doctor being dragged into that dimension, spends episode 11 in that dimension... And episode 12 comes out and it's the finale. Yeah. 
So it, episode 11 could be entirely standalone in that respect and have nothing to do with episode 12. And actually, episode 12 is the second part of the first half of episode one, like we were saying about with uh, Kate Lethbridge-Stewart. Yeah. Who knows? Something um, I'll throw out then as well, um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a see what you think about this one. Seeing as we're in the 10th anniversary of Doctor Who coming back... No, we're not. No? Uh, oh, no. Uh, well, being inside the 10th anniversary means being between its 9th birthday and its 10th birthday. Mm. We're still in the same year. Yes, the 10th yeah. 10th anniversary. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. I wonder whether or not this would be a pretty good chance for Stephen Moffat to go back and wrap up the loose ends and things that have been running for the last 10 years in the same way that for the 50th he went through and wrapped up stuff that had been running for the 50th and for the 50 years and just tying things together uh, I'm that out, I've got no proof of that that's just an idea potentially episode 11 could be not actually Peter Capaldi entirely by himself but Peter Capaldi turning up in other stories to sort things out like well we've had Clara do it so he's got form yeah and we also still haven't had the explanation for why Peter Capaldi uh, yeah but we haven't had the explanation for why Peter Capaldi looks like the character from the Fires of Pompeii. Oh no, this is too... Ca- 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 Except I think that's going to be in the Zygon story. Right. Um. Oh, right, okay. Oh, kind of... Ah, right, that's interesting. Um. Well, people have predicted that that'll be somewhere at the end, but I'm sure Stephen Moffat said it, that's going to be going before the cameras next week or something, and at the time they were recording the Zygon story, so presumably it's in the Zygon story. We haven't had the Peter Capaldi Day of the Doctor scene yet, though, have we? No, and we don't necessarily need to have it. No, but, no, but but we could have it. Do you know I, I, that just I just got I just, all thirteen. That just got me there. I was just thinking, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> well, all these things. Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> well, we, did, we don't know anything about eleven, but potentially all these things could be in episode eleven. Or it could we, just be him sat reading a story. Well, it could be him lost inside the TARDIS. Yeah. You know how I said about Stephen Moffat likes to answer his critics, but to do it in a way that they don't realise he's answering them. There was a lot of criticism after Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS that they didn't do the TARDIS justice. Personally speaking, I thought they did. But a lot of people didn't think they did. Potentially, episode 11 could be another episode set entirely inside the TARDIS. It's it's a... Well, it's, it's it's a perfect location. Because it can, well, yeah. it can be anything. Well, it's basically it's infinite, yeah. not just in size, but also in variety. We could finally so you could see have... the, the boot room that's a cathedral. But you could you could set any kind of story in there. Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS was a simple sort of chase-stroke quest narrative where they were, you know, looking for the MacGuffin so that they could set the MacGuffin right so that it wouldn't blow itself up. Yeah, That's a very simple narrative. Stephen Moffat is famous for his complicated narratives, and while those complicated narratives usually disguise a simple story, then you look at something like Listen, and Listen was, by most people's measures, a huge success, and it's actually quite a deep, multi-layered story that's more complicated, you know, for once with Stephen Moffat, is more complicated than it appears to be. Maybe he's buoyed by the success of Listen and thinks, yeah, I'll do that again, and what I'll do again while I'm doing that is answer the criticisms of Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS, so maybe he's doing another listen 
not the same story as Listen, no. but you know, taking the same basic framework as Listen had and doing it entirely inside the TARDIS with just the Doctor. Listen, Listen struck me in some ways as um, not not to not to be critical of any of the writers who worked on the series because they've they've done you know because they're great, but there hasn't really been a kind of a, a Stephen Moffat writer under Stephen Moffat other than no. Stephen Moffat. And he's had to do it himself. He has to do it himself, but he also has to do the the kind of the bread and butter stuff and holding it all together. So he doesn't really yeah. get. He's doing a lot of rhythm guitar and not necessarily as many solos as he used to. Exactly. And, and listen was his opportunity. Oh, listen to... was a chance to fly, wasn't it? Yeah. So maybe he enjoyed that, and maybe he's done it again. Well, there's and a single. Maybe... Go on. Yeah. I was going to say. I was going to go on to say, and maybe therefore, especially given that they're recording another episode in between, and you very rarely do that with two parters, even if. You know, in the Stephen Moffat way of things, the two parts are two distinct episodes. You still usually record them together because they usually share cast yeah. and they usually share locations. Episode 11 and episode 12 would appear to share neither cast nor locations. So I think they're going to be more distinct than episode 5 and 6 or possibly even episodes 9 and 10. It, it, it's, it's intriguing, isn't it? The stru- The structure's... Fascinating. Yeah. Um, I think eleven is. Eleven sounds to me like it might be a calm before the storm episode. Yeah, it might lead into twelve at the end. You might cliffhanger into twelve at the end, but possibly the actual events of eleven won't have anything to do with what happens in twelve, which will probably therefore refer back to episode one. I, I, I yes, yeah. I, which I think, I think, which would, which will sort of cap it up together. Eleven. I I wonder if Eleven will be the one that wins awards. Yeah, it could be one of those kinds of episodes. Yeah, because it's it's kind of got. It's well, Eleven and Nine, two completely one-off episodes for Doctor Who. Nine sounds so risky because I can't see how you can have music in Nine. Oh, well, we'll just have to wait and see. And that would be a change. You can. Well, you can, well, you you could put it in. You could say this is a found footage episode, but not. Um, make it, but sort of ameliorate that for the audience by putting music on it. Mm, I think it's a risky move. <laughs> I think of the two, though. Yeah. You know, nine and eleven are two things that Doctor Who's never done before. Yeah. But yeah. nine is such a standard thing in the cinema industry at the moment. But eleven's not. So eleven is still the one that's going to stand out, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The only uh, now you're because I haven't watched telly properly for like twelve years, so you'll know better than me if I'm going off on one with this. But, oh, well, I haven't the... either. So... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well, we'll bluff it out together. Um, I've seen Jeremy Kyle and Hollyoaks. Oh, right. Well, I don't think either of those have done found footage episodes, but um, Inside Number Nine has. Sort oh of. yeah, I've seen Inside Number Nine. Yeah. Now Inside Number Nine did do a found footage episode, but I don't think that. that I can't think of any other telly that's done it, unless maybe because Buffy wouldn't have done it. Um, um no, because Buffy was too soon. Yeah, um, Battlestar Galactica didn't. I haven't watched. I've, I'm so I'm so out of it because I'm not sure. Sort of. Whether I'm any... sure there are probably American TV shows that have because there are so many of. Them. But there's so many films that do it because it's cheap. But that's kind yeah. of probably why TV stays away from it because it looks cheap. It does. So it's and it's risky. Yeah. But you can get away... I mean, the the way that you'd have to do it on TV is populate it with your regular characters 
who the audience recognise and whose stories they want to follow. Yeah. Which again might be why Nine is possibly a bit of a risk if it's not going to have much of the Doctor in it. Yeah. Although having said that, it might have a lot of Clara in it. We'll have to wait and see. But then again, maybe that's the reason why you chuck somebody like Reese Shearsmith in and give it, you know, a conceit that means that people will want to stick with it in spite of the found footage aspect. And the thing about found footage is most found footage movies look dirt cheap because they have been made dirt cheap. If you actually make a found footage movie with money, you can make it look expensive. Look at Cloverfield. Yeah, yeah. So, found footage doesn't necessarily need to look cheap. It, oh no, no, no! But it's 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 a risky th- it's risky because it's it's a it's a it's it's more of a film convention than a TV one. That's that's it's kind of a. But it's also one of those things that in an ongoing series where you've got another episode to come next week, you can do as a one-off. I think. Well, that's taking advantage of the actual, um, yeah, of of the of of the way that the series is set up because it's covered so many different things. It should take risks every now and again. Yeah. I think it's important because if it gets too cozy, then that's yeah, a shame. exactly. But, but if it gets Who... too cozy, people just think it's being smug. But yes, but back in the sixties, it was at the cutting edge of everything, wasn't it? Really, it was pushing envelopes with music and effects and budget, yeah. definitely, because it had, you know, if it's running on the same budget as your um, sort of standard, well, soap opera or something, which it, or, or or drama or series something like that. They were really trying to do something, you know, difficult because the only other series that pushed like that with with effects and things was Top of the Pops, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, Top of the Pops. But do, but does would you would you have said that Doctor Who recently has been pushing what you can do, or has it been staying quite comfortably within? No, I think it's been pushing things. Yeah. In terms of you look at something like the God Complex. Yeah, yeah. I think and. Uh, and that's one that where it's more ostentatious. Episode. It's one where yeah. it's more noticeable. But if you look at things like The Girl Who Waited, I think The Girl Who Waited is an absolute paradigm episode. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. The Girl Who Waited does a lot of things very differently, but you don't notice because it's such an intimate character story. You're so wrapped up in the characters, you don't know what the rest of the story is doing. You don't notice it, rather. Because, because well, it's, 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 yeah, but The Girl Who Waited and The God Complex, they kind of shape the look of the series afterwards yeah and then look at the day of the doctor and look at some of the editing choices particularly towards the start of that episode where they're using that sort of shattering glass flash forward imagery that you'd get in horror films yeah you very rarely get that kind of thing on television I, i i'm I'm quite excited about this series um i won't call it series 35 but i am quite excited about it because it sounds like they're going to take some chances yeah, more ostensibly than yeah. perhaps in the past. Yeah. In the past, the stories have, uh, you know, on the surface of it, been fairly regular Doctor Who stories that have kind of had things bubbling under the surface. And, you know, apart from the fact that the, it's the Stephen Moffat version of the show, and of course it takes risks anyway. And yeah, yeah. That's what most fans are up in arms about, the fact that it's doing all these things that they don't like their Doctor Who How to do. How dare it change? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But but yeah, How this year even more alive. so. That, that's <laughs> this year. That looks like it's launching off the page and into the very blood of the series. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Um, star. Uh, good luck to it. I don't and think we've got an awful lot to say about twelve, considering they've not even started recording no, it yet. No, no. It's it's just gonna. 
Do you think Maisie Williams will be back? Or is she back shooting Game of Thrones now? Um, Presumably she recorded her two episodes during the recording break on Game of Thrones. Yeah. So. I think, so I think although... she'll regenerate in one of those two episodes into whatever character she's going to be. <laughs> no, I don't, right. I don't know. I don't leave... know. I don't think she's in them. No. <laughs> I'll leave that as it stands. <laughs> other than that, other than to say maybe episode 12 is a Gallifrey episode, who knows? Well, there it's could be could be i think there's a fairly good chance of it if only because i think i think although stephen moffat moffat set up gallifrey the return of gallifrey to be something that potentially somebody else could take up if stephen moffat had left because he didn't leave and because he's still there i think it's one of those things where like um russell t davis leaving the master's ring at the end of last of the time lords yeah. And then realising, well, I left it there. Why don't I pick it up and use it again? Yeah. I wonder if Stephen Moffat will say, OK, well, then I will do the Gallifrey thing. Well, as the showrunner, why not? You know, if, if it's... Why not? And Answer it, the questions, you know, or solve the problems because there'll be plenty more for whoever comes along afterwards to sort out. Exactly. You know, it's always going to be there. Yeah. And it's not like he's not foreshadowed it. Throughout the whole of that series last year, Peter Capaldi was trying to work something out in the TARDIS and we never found out what it was but we could patently see he was trying to work something out mm -hmm. and then they had the thing with Missy at the end where she says oh Gallifrey's back didn't you know and of course it's not where it's supposed to be which doesn't necessarily mean that she was lying about the fact that it was back no no not at all so as long as it doesn't turn out to be Scarrow we'll be fine <laughs> well yeah <laughs> but you know what I'm saying here is I if Stephen Moffat had wanted to leave Gallifrey, I don't think he'd have done those things. No. So oh, no, I, th no. I think the fact that he's done those things, because Stephen Moffat, like we said earlier, he knows what he's doing. Oh, yeah. The fact that he's thrown those things in, I think we'll get Gallifrey. Maybe not this year, maybe next year. But I think, I think we'll have to wait and see how the series goes. But there are things that are coming up that might be an indication that we do get it this year. Yeah, I, I think we'll see, have to see. I think you're right. I think, but he he will tidy up before he leaves. You'd think so. I yeah. think so. Yeah, because that, that's that's what he, he wraps stuff up. Yeah, he does wrap stuff up. Yeah, how does he wrap stuff up? <laughs> well, I think that's it then, Al, isn't it? I I believe it is. <laughs> We've done. I think we covered a lot. We know there's going to be a trousers, Christmas, but anyway, gone. <laughs> Oh, God, if you want to talk about the trousers. We know there's also going to be a Christmas special that happens, what, three and a half weeks or even two and a half weeks? I think it's three and a half weeks after episode 12 goes out. Yeah. And so that means that even more so than last year, where he tied it into the series, I think there's potential for even a greater amount of tying the Christmas special into the series this year. Maybe 12 and the Christmas special are two-part. Well, I wouldn't put it past him not a, sta a regular garden sized two-parter you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. but some but some kind of two-parter in a more tangential sense well we say. well like like he usually does rather than last year which was a bit of a change yeah. where the two actually followed on from each other yeah yeah that yeah. Was, wouldn't yeah wouldn't surprise me mm. at all Good, so we <laughs> so we yeah we could be looking at an actual 13 episode series in disguise. Yeah. yeah, that's a perception filter, though. <clears throat> well, 
thanks for coming on and been sharing sharing some absolute nonsense. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this episode out twice. <laughs> I'm going to put this episode out after episode 12 and so that the listeners will have to listen to it for a second time because it will be part of their subscription on iTunes <laughs> and they will find out just how badly wrong we were. Oh, it's going to be phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you won't it will have got be. anything right at all. They'll even hey, change the it's, names. <laughs> it's great fun thinking about it. That's brilliant. Yeah, and you know, the part of the reason why you do this is to sort of spark sort of conjecture and speculation in the people who are listening to it as well. It's it's a fun thing to do. And we've we've done it. Yeah. Right, until next time then, when you'll get the episode that was supposed to be happening this week, which is basically going to be the Blue Box Podcast's version of episode 9, I think. It's going to be something entirely different and unexpected. But I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say what until it's in the can, because there's nothing worse than saying that next week, X, and then suddenly getting Y. So, well, until then then, I was JR. I was Al. And we'll speak again soon. <laughs>